Welcome to a special collaborative episode of Cabin Minute Cast and The Thing Minute. This is a little just a summertime fun movie club. We thought we'd jump up and and present just for fun. So this is uh, Heidi Bennett. And then we've also got Molly. Want to say hey, Molly? Hey, hey. <laughs> Molly Balin and Harper Harper W. Harris. What's going on, Harper? Hey guys. <laughs> so yeah, so the three of us got a wacky hair up our pods to uh try check out Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. So this is horror sci-fi 1978 so a year after star wars for those of you watching star wars minute and listening to one year bby (laughs) yeah (laughs) and yeah i actually found a lot of connections to some of their movies by minutes podcasts too but yeah an interesting cast and it's something i hadn't seen in quite a long time so i really let me ask you molly what's your relationship um if any to this flick my relationship is with donald sutherland oh i'm gonna out the poor man here but uh my first like real boyfriend there was uh i don't even know i think it might have even been in relation to this movie but uh it was certainly a 1970s donald sutherland like peak vintage donald sutherland and when we were teenagers he made this comment in front of myself and his his band friends (laughs) <laughs> that he thought Donald Sutherland was a really attractive man. Mm-hmm. And I was like kind of team Kiefer at the time. So I was like, <laughs> bro, whatever. But I, in reviewing this movie, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Donald Sutherland really has this amazing kind of roguish and he's Canadian too, which I did not know either, mm, which is, I didn't know that. yeah. Like just a brilliant flavor that I did not know existed <laughs> that makes up a Donald Sutherland. So that is my connection to the movie. So your connection, if I heard you right, is that you were dating somebody who thought he was attractive. And so you investigated and also found him attractive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny. It. So it does have an inside joke. So for years after it was this ongoing thing about how he found Donald Sutherland to be attractive. Cause I don't particularly, when I think of like heartthrob, I don't think Donald Sutherland, no mm-hmm. offense, sir, but that's why it was kind of a, a funny statement in and of itself. And it just, it just stuck around. So I have, I have a, a warm place in my heart for, for Donald Sutherland. And now I really have an appreciation. It took like 20 years, but now I have like a really deep appreciation for what he was saying from reviewing this movie. Gotcha. And Harper, how about you? Sure. Um, this was one I somehow had, this is one of the movies I'm going to add to my list of, I cannot believe I hadn't seen this before because mm-hmm. it's like, it's just one of those ones that's like perfectly in my wheelhouse of, of science fiction and horror and uh, classic sound design. And, you know, the cast is like all people that I really like a lot. And, but yeah, it's one I had never seen before watching it for this. I watched it last week and um, I think I've maybe seen some of the, um, of the original one from the fifties, maybe I feel like we've watched that in school at some point, but I don't mm. have a, like a strong memory of it, but I had definitely not seen this one. And, um, uh, you know, it got brought up by multiple guests on the thing minute, uh, 
in regards to the the ending of this movie, which has been, was spoiled for me long ago. <laughs> right, um, right. Uh, you know, there's obviously some connections there between uh, this movie and the thing. So that's that's kind of what got me interested in it in the first place. So I was I was really happy when you suggested uh, putting this together to give me an excuse to watch it. Cool. So yeah, let's just dive in. I'll just um, say yeah, like I mentioned, it was released in 1978 and. Stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Jeff Goldblum, and a couple, of, <laughs> a couple of other folks that we all know and love. Veronica Cartwright, uh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, so those are kind of our main players, right? And uh, let's see. How about, let's just talk about the sound design, the the beginning of it. Ooh, got a little <laughs> anything that anybody wants to to talk about here let's just let's free free ball it (laughs) uh i'll throw out that the the special effects just kind of blew me away Uh, even, even right from the beginning the like weird psychedelic sequence with like the the like soap bubbles floating through space Mm. towards earth and like i wasn't expecting any of that like i outside of literally the last like 30 seconds of this movie i didn't know anything about it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that that stuff is really cool and then just the way they do the whole thing with like the the weird like clear gelatin alien that's like you know dripping down the plants and then growing the veins and and then of course um all the cool effects of the actual like bodies growing and stuff is just like really creepy and, and wonderful. Mm. So yeah, that was r- literally from the first, the opening like couple minutes, I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is something special. I really like this already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hadn't remembered that beginning part at, at all. I had no memory of it and it really did connect to, to me, the seventies. When I think of the seventies, I think of, uh, macrame hanging on the wall which we get a little glimpse in their apartment but these connections to nature and you know the colors and the colors of nature and lots of plants in the house and everything Mm -hmm. i really remember that from the 70s and that back to the land sort of natural vibe people were going making their own yogurt at home and you know sort of Mm indoor outdoor California living and all that. So I felt like that organicness of the kind of gauzy gelatinous alien creatures <laughs> floating and and then yeah and then the way they connected to the plants it looked so organic and then it just I don't know it kind of reminded me of just that era I guess of other movies from the 70s like uh, logan's run or something too with the music and oh yeah the music music was cool is it tangerine dream that did the music that's what i thought was interesting too is it's not tangerine dream and might take me a second to look at i was reading that this was like the only film score that the individual did yeah it says denny zeitlin or zeitlin z-e-i-t I-L-I-N, I think. And it says, yeah, despite its popularity and critical praise, it's the only film score he ever composed. Wow, that's so strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the film had, had another, uh, it had sound innovation. I like how it says this is Wikipedia. The film featured a number of sound innovations by uh, <laughs> Ben Burt. 
So, you know, Ben Burt, oh, yeah. a big Star Wars guy. So I just thought that was interesting too. But yeah, it's, let's see what it says. Uh, create a number of special sound effects for this film. The film sound was mixed by Mark Berger of American Zoetrope in the four channel mm. Dolby stereo process, which was not yet standard exhibition equipment in most theaters. So we get the benefit of of that at home if we have that a, a stereo system that's up to the task <laughs> mm, <laughs> all yes. of that good stuff well said uh you were mentioning things that were very quintessential 70s and and i think maybe even california there's a moment i think this is when like nancy is like fully freaking out where they're this is kind of post when they go to the spa which i want to talk about too uh-huh. the spa is totally weird for me yes <laughs> And she's talking about how she's talking about like DNA recombining and like alien influence. And I was like, wow, that's a really very new age philosophy and something that I didn't realize in that chariot of the God sort of sense was a a, a zeitgeist in the late seventies that there's this really like new age hippie, which I mean, yeah, sixties, but I didn't know that that was really a part of something that was even kind of discuss because i feel like i hear that in new age circles being on the west coast a lot about dna recombining i had like a friend who was way into like new age stuff and would go to these conferences and be like you can take the metal and it'll it'll realign your your dna and clean it up and take out the alien influences and whatnot and and this is something that was just you know tossed out so i don't know if that's somebody took that idea from this movie and then based some other additional thought and spirituality around that or there was something that was predominant at the time but i was like wow that's just a very that's a very new age cali sort of we're trying to make sense of this really wacky situation and we're going to the new age to try and figure out what's going on i just felt like that was a very period thought piece sort of thing to say at that moment that must have been a big thing you're right because uh it's funny to bring it back to the thing for just a second there was they in the thing that one of the the, like hippie character brings up uh chariots of the gods which is like you know sort of a similar idea that the whole Mm -hmm. idea that like aliens came and taught the incans and the mayans or or whoever you know built built all that stuff and taught Mm -hmm. them math and science so it must have been some weird thing in the zeitgeist where where a lot of those kind of ideas were floating around because that that was only a couple years after this when that Mm. yeah that makes sense yeah it definitely was because i remember as a kid in the 70s seeing magazine articles and other things that had to do with like using triangles to connect to you know ufos and, (laughs) and things that seemed spiritual and metaphysical and Mm. combining yeah nonsensical weird scientific you know a combination of things that seemed scientific enough for you to believe it and then also always looking up to the sky and seeing if we could find something up there that was flying in a weird direction and and uh Mm. I'm sure I was doing a little bit of light reading as a kid about that kind of stuff, but it did seem like it was, like you said, in the zeitgeist. One thing I I thought was interesting about this in comparison to uh, John Carpenter's The Thing was that right away, paranoia is played with in a little bit of a different way, but it's it happens yeah. almost instantaneously 
our lead character is suspicious and thinking that her her partner or husband is um, acting differently, you know, within one night of we get to, to a little glimpse as to both of their characters, especially that he likes to watch the game and play, you know, listen on his, to things on his headphones and that they're kind of a playful couple. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting how in the opening scenes with the two of them in their San Francisco apartment that you never really get to see them too much together. The way that that uh, particular shot where they're kind of being playful with each other in a room, but you're just sort of seeing their legs. Mm. Right. And then they go to bed and sh- her, she's put that flower next to the bed and then the next day he's you know somebody else mm-hmm. yeah it's um it's pretty it, there's a lot of really good um economy in the in the like character development in the movie because yeah they it's done so quickly that like that change happens but you totally get it and you understand why she's suspicious because they the way they set it up or like you know he's very he's very like obsessed with i can't remember which team it is but you know he's like obsessed with a sports team and then the next day he's like, no, that's all right. I'll just skip the game or whatever. And she's like, huh? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's just, yeah, it's smart the way it's set up so that you can, you can totally believe that she would think that it, she doesn't seem crazy, you know, based on just the little bit that we've seen, you, you really understand where she's coming from. Well, it's also really funny because the progression's like, oh, he's not interested in, in the game and he's not interested in sex. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) The two big tip-offs for her. They're like, "Mm mm-mm, sums up. Typical men. Yeah. It's (laughs) it's funny. Speaking of that, and there isn't, there's, you know, it's a different time, but there's a point where uh, Nancy and Elizabeth, go. they're like, go in the car. You know, we men are going to take care of this. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. the dudes hop in the next car and we're like, we're going to, you know, we're going to work this out. And, put the women in the car and send them, send them home and tell them not to let anyone in. Yeah. That's, that's maybe one of the few things that I didn't like about the movie is that I thought, I feel like it's sort of strange that it starts with Elizabeth as really kind of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And then at mm-hmm. some point gradually it, you, you realize like, Oh, we're not really following her anymore. We're following uh, Donald Sutherland's character. Mm, like, yeah. And it just sort of, it doesn't really like switch over at a specific point. It just sort of all of a sudden you realize like, Oh, we're not really following her anymore. Like, you know, which is weird because I, I think she's a, they're both interesting characters, but I think Elizabeth's character is a little bit more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and looking at it from her perspective is much more frightening than like, he doesn't have anybody that he's like connected to who's being turned, at least not right away. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, from her perspective, it's much more like you're in it with her and you understand the paranoia. And I like, I loved that part of it. So I thought it was kind of strange when suddenly it's like, you know, we're following him around more than Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of following him around, the way that the cameras, the, the camera felt intimate and almost like it was a documentary style in some points where it was seemed like the camera was sort of hopping in the car with him and moving around. And even the, the ways that the camera was moving around sometimes felt like you're the way you would see things in as an increasingly scary place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's a lot of that visual skewing. The cinematography for this movie is incredible. Like it's a character onto itself. And, and I just, maybe I'm just watching so many superhero movies these <laughs> days 
But I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, this is this is real capital R, real cinema, where you have the actual cinematography is used to elicit a particular fear response. And, you know, Harper, you being an audio guy, I'm, I'm sure you've got lots to say about the the music about this, too. And, and these like these stings where it almost seems like they're they're playing like a theremin on occasion where there's this dissonant noise coupled with it so it's it's classic horror but it's also like 70s san francisco so everything's kind of like modern and bubbly at the same time it's really eerie yeah the the music and and the sound design and everything working together just causes this whole like the whole movie just feels super uneasy like Mm -hmm. you know like you said everything seems sort of like you know happy and bubbly on the surface and then you know, things just start seeming weirder and weirder. And, you know, it's it's almost like the, the plot catches up with the, the music. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you know, as awesome as the music is, it's not that unusual for this time period, I guess. Because, I mean, you were getting movies like, you know, Blade Runner was just a couple years after this that had, you know, an all synth score. And I'm trying to think of some others. But, you know, a lot of the early, like, slasher movies and stuff are, are very, like, synthesizer heavy. All, all of John Carpenter's stuff, obviously, too. Mm. But... But yeah, it just works super well to kind of make you feel uneasy. And I think really that's, that's to me, that's my favorite thing about this movie is that uh, I love the whole movie, but like once, once like the jig is up and you know exactly what's happening, it's slightly less interesting to me because the first half when there's just like kind of strange stuff going on, but it's not like, it's not like really weird. It's just sort of like on the fringes. It just like really puts you in Elizabeth's shoes and it's just really, really unnerving. Mm-hmm. And just the way that it unfolds and as far as, you know, she thinks her husband's acting strange and then she starts kind of noticing some weird things around and sees him like, you know, having those weird meetings where they're like tra- the trading the boxes and stuff. And, and then, yeah, when it gets really crazy to me is when they go to that, the, all the relationships in this movie are very strange. Like I don't quite understand how all these people know each other, but they go to the weird, like, uh, I guess I think it's like a is it like a book signing yeah. with yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how they know each other but <laughs> but yeah and then you know there's other people who are saying that their spouses are also you know acting very strangely or are not themselves and it's like okay now there's something really really strange going on and just the sort of like casual things that happen that make them kind of realize that this is bigger than what's just going on with her husband the the guy that gets shot and then or he gets, does he get he gets hit by a car oh yeah yeah, yeah. And then nobody seems to be like concerned about him. And, and, you know, and and then of course all the phone calls that start going to going nowhere. And it's just really clever the way that stuff plays out. It's very like, it's very subtle. And like, it feels like a movie that like you watch a second time. I bet there's lots of other things you kind of spot happening that are, that are weird and out of the ordinary. Yeah. I was noticing, it was kind of reminding me a little bit of, which of course is way after this, that may have been an influence on, would make sense on uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, there's people right away, even though the lead character is still in his own world in the beginning and just sort of doing his normal get up, get coffee, you know, talk with his roommates and go to work and, and you know, or go get his his soda and at the local little corner market and go to work. But that behind, but around him, if you pay attention, you'll see that there are already people who have turned, you know, into zombies. And on future viewings of that movie, you see more and more. And that's what I was noticing with this, 
watching it the other day was like, oh, as the um, as there's this walk and talk between our two protagonists in the beginning in their um, workplace, there's this guy like looking at them through a glass, a window, through a door in oh. a weird way. And then there's the... Um, I think Chinese gentleman that jumps or that bumps into her and it kind of gives her a weird look. And, and then, so there are on the streets and around them things already happening right away that are mm-hmm. strange connections and, and bumpings. And one thing I noticed too, is she was saying that I believe uh, once they change they have no emotion, but it's not really that they have no emotion. They still do. It's just, what would you guys describe it as? Cause it's like a, a dulling almost. Yeah. It's like an eerie calm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Cause they do say that they, you know, retain memories and, you know, certain, I don't know, personality traits, I guess, but yeah, they're not. Yeah. And I think that that was something that Leonard Nimoy talks about, you know, there's no hate, there's no love. So basically, there's no passion. Yeah, that's a good way to put yeah. it. I'm trying to think about, oh, Molly, you were mentioning something about the mud baths or that you wanted to talk about that. <laughs> well, for me, it was really not unlike the bookstore scene where you're like, why? Are, well, it's like, I guess it's a bookstore, but the book mm-hmm. signing where I had the impression that Jeff Goldblum's character was a writer, like a writer proper. And so when we first get introduced to him, he's kind of shit talking <laughs> and really, you know, calling Leonard Neboy a hack essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I figured like, Oh, he's like maybe a fellow writer, you know, who's maybe like not writing so much right now. And then he walks into a spa right after, but you see his name on it. So I'm like, Oh, so you co-own a spa. Like, that's what you do, but you're not actually working at the spa. There's this other chick. So then I was really, you know, confused about, okay, are you, are you, is Nancy like a worker there, but you have a flirtation with her? Um, Wait, no, you guys kind of co-own the whole thing. So it just seemed really, and it's kind of a, you know, it's a 70s spa. And so there's a certain, I don't know, it had a less, less than sanitary flavor for me. Just... (laughs) Definitely. <laughs> so it, it just seemed really incongruous with them as characters. And I'm like, ah, that's a really weird, I'm not connecting your random poetry with being a 70s spa co-owner. So that was kind of weird for me. So I don't know if that struck you guys at all. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think that's one of the really odd, like, as as good as the script is in terms of like, you know, building the paranoia and the tension and, and that kind of thing. The like, it's like they totally skipped the like explanation of how these people know each other or who they mm-hmm. are. Because like, even just Elizabeth and um, Donald Sutherland's character, like, I, I think like he's her boss, right? Yeah, yeah. But but they have this weird thing where she like comes over to his house and eats dinner sometimes like by herself. Like like they're really they're like weirdly close even even before the like romantic subplot with them kind of starts mm-hmm. to unfold. And then mm-hmm. yeah, and then how how do these people who work for like the Department of um Health? Yeah, the Department of Health. How how do how are they in touch? How is he like close friends with this like famous psychoanalyst writer, Leonard Nimoy? 
like that they could just like go up and chat with him. And then, and somehow Leonard Nimoy's character knows Jeff Goldblum's character who presumably since he owns a mud bath spa is not like a super famous writer. Like it's just all of their like interrelationships are really weird and undefined. And like, it doesn't really matter in terms of like the overall story, but it's just, yeah, it's definitely strange. It's, and, def- and that moment when they walk into the spot was definitely where it all sort of that that aspect sort of fell apart for me because I was like, okay, what? <laughs> like, who, who is this and what is going on here? Yeah, you can kind of <laughs> see that maybe working back from an idea, like when they're developing the story of how we're going to see this first body revealed mm-hmm. right, right. that is the the Jeff Goldblum pod, and. Um, mm that maybe they're working back from like, well, where could we be? You know, what's the location? Well, what weird things in San Francisco are there right now where there's, where you'd have somebody, you know, like, oh, well, maybe it could be at a morgue, you know? Oh no, well that wouldn't work because they just think it was a dead body or, you know, I could see that being something where they kind of work backwards from a, an end part of the story. Yeah. Had to be something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. The The connections are really weird. And, and it's not even like that Leonard Nimoy is, is just a writer. He's, like you're saying, this famous psychotherapist. So his writing is related to therapy. Yeah. He's also an expert in weird leather hand what? jewelry. What? Okay. Oh, I, I was telling my husband about that. I was like telling him that Leonard Nimoy's character is this writer slash therapist and wears this leather thing but it's not really a glove Uh, what the heck is that thing so in in the trivia it says it's called a half glove (laughs) Uh, Um, it said he uh he had a Leonard Nimoy had a friend who wore one to cover a burn on his hand and he just wore it in the movie because he thought it would make him more distinctive and recognizable. Like, who doesn't recognize yeah. Leonard Nimoy? Interesting. Like, really? At this point in time, who doesn't know who Leonard Nimoy is? <laughs> so <laughs> weird. Yeah. I was like, is that like, do you do archery or something? And that's you just left it on because you're like, I'm a badass and I'm wearing a turtleneck and I'm Spock and I have archery in the afternoon then go out to my book signing and that's just your 70s san francisco life i don't know but yeah it was really it was a strange addition well we all remembered it so (laughs) there's one thing yeah he man he pushed my buttons right away Mm. this person i mean man him the way he just forced his view as being the correct view on everybody especially being somebody who's a coach as coaches were asking questions and asking our clients to experiment and be curious and alt- and also to, you know, trust themselves. And to me, what he was doing was the opposite of that. So it was really, it was really getting my goat. Yeah. Bro did not have a client centric <laughs> no. philosophy in his, <laughs> his therapy. <laughs> <laughs> totally no and it, you know it's funny that i was thinking about it when since you mentioned um shawn of the dead earlier that this movie's kind of unique in that you know shawn of the dead is making fun of in that part of the movie it's making fun of the fact that in most horror movies it's incredibly obvious that something bad is going on and 
people just don't seem to notice it or don't believe you when you tell them that's going on or whatever. But in this movie, it's like abundantly clear to everybody except for Leonard Nimoy's character who continually <laughs> just tries to prove them wrong. So it's real. it's odd. There's like this weird role reversal there. So it's, you know, it's not like the audience knows what's happening and the characters don't like most of them know, but they're not believed by this one person of authority. So here's my question, which will sound familiar to you, Harper, but when do you think he turned? Yeah, I knew this was coming. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, because I, I think there's a real possibility he was already turned at the very beginning, like before we even see him. Mm. Uh, because, you know, it's like in the thing, one of the things we always did was try and see if there was like a point when somebody's behavior changed dr- drastically or like, they said something and then later on they kind of contradict the way they were thinking about something. But yeah, the first time we see him, he's already on like, Oh, these crazy housewives and you know, that think their husbands have turned into different people. Like just like, it's just so funny the way he's like, he's much, it's much easier for him to believe that it's like this bizarre mass psychosis that like everybody is having the exact same like hallucination or whatever. Mm -hmm. than that something actually strange is happening. But, um, yeah, so I mean, because we never see what he's like, like he he's on that same line, like he's working for the pods from the very beginning, whether he's actually taken over or not, you know? Yeah. What did you think, Molly? I think it had to be early on. What's funny about it is that he has such an even affect mm-hmm. that it's not discernible by his friends. <laughs> he's been switched out, which is a little... <laughs> kind of a bummer because <laughs> that's supposed to be the whole point is that there's a tell that they can't really pretend because they don't have the you know the the passion anymore i think it has to be very early on because he does do that he slams jeff goldblum up against a wall mm-hmm. kind of early on um, when also doing... a weird thing for a psychiatrist to do <laughs> yeah so that's kind of some strange therapy i don't know but I think it has to be shortly after that because we don't really see anything aggressive after that point. And because that's a very, you know, violent and aggressive move, I think he has to be normal in the beginning, but maybe after that point they get to him. Yeah. It's certainly early on regardless, Mm -hmm. like at some point, either before we see him for the first time or very soon after. Yeah. One thing that, makes me think about how how relevant this is to the 70s too is that there's a lot of spiritual exploration going on um at mm. this point and that the way that the the pod folk towards the end of the movie are describing you know you still have your thoughts and your memories you're still you just whatever a less stressed out or less reactionary you is that it could be also like sort of the what i think of is when people are so spiritually connected that they're just oh. kind of calm and almost almost to the point of an a coldness an unfeelingness which is something that gives me the heebie-jeebies you know that idea of like if i met it i mean and i'm a meditator and you are too molly i know but like if i meditate you know a lot and i get really you know at this high level of resonation that i'm just i don't react to anything and i'm almost like a pod person so i could see this being a a bit of a reaction to that too Mm -hmm. mm-hmm yeah 
Yeah, I think that's a really, I think that's actually very wise, especially considering what's happening at that time to maybe that's part of the comment that that's part of the blowback that in the search for enlightenment and spiritual growth that actually that feigned peace is is not real, you know, just because you're, you know, pretending to be peaceful doesn't mean you actually are peaceful. And there's, there's still just to come back to Spock, that's kind of Spock's jam too, is that I've, I've removed all emotion, I'm pure logic, but I'm half human, but sometimes it creeps in and, and I'm a badass, but, but I, I hide it all away. So I feel like this, this time period is dealing with with the human element, that human emotional element and what to do with all of that. Sure. And, and given, given the fact that he's like a, a psychoanalyst too, uh, you could, you could read it too, as like the, like over medi- medication of people too. Mm. Like, you know, that people, people who are on like heavy antidepressants and stuff, always talk about how it sort of like dulls their feelings and dulls their, you know, like it turns them into a, a less interesting person, even if they're, you know, they're less kind of, uh, you know, they have less, difficulties from that from the other perspective like the reason they got prescribed it in the first place but you know it's Mm -hmm. almost like that too especially given that he's a psychoanalyst that that kind of popped into my head when i was watching it too totally yeah and i do feel like even though um the elizabeth character she's i felt she was very likable but there's definitely veronica cartwright's character nancy is more hysterical and so there is there is a little bit of a connection of the hysterical women just overreacting to the, <laughs> that's mm. <there. laughs> yeah. Oh man. Although it was nice that, you know, I, I almost expected Donald Sutherland's character to, to be like, you know, kind of wave it off when she came to it. But she, he's very like, he believes her like almost right from the start. Mm-hmm. Is, it's kind of a nice change of pace for what I was Absolutely. expecting. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like, he had good intentions, you know, bringing him, bringing her to Leonard Nimoy was not a great idea, <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> but when he introduces her to Jeff Goldblum's character, he says, Oh, is this is the Elizabeth. So you definitely feel like he's already, you know, absolutely in love with the with her and, mm-hmm. you know, thinks that this guy that she's with is kind of a adult. And yeah, that they already have this comfort in their relationship that they're talking easily with each other. I, I love that he's making, um, you know, he's using a wok to make his dinner because that is so <laughs> 1970s. And then so I think San Francisco, like, uh, it's just cracked me up. Um, Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of great stuff like that too where um i loved the i wrote down the line when um she the first time she tells him like my husband's been acting really strange and he's he's like uh well it could only be an improvement <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> one thing that was really cool atmospheric touch was the garbage trucks yes mm-hmm. they always that. had that kind of weird I guess it was like remnants of the pods or what did you guys think? It was always sort of this same gauzy stuff in those trucks. My impression was that it's the, it's the real bodies of the people like that after, after they 
after they grow the mm. new body out of plants, they like the old body, like kind of disintegrates into that weird cotton candy looking wispy stuff. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then the garbage men are just throwing it all out. So, so something like yeah, because then the first night after her husband, Elizabeth's husband, Jeffrey, changes into a pod person, then he, her, she watches him out the window walk to the garbage man in the garbage truck <laughs> and kind of pass along his little can of garbage. So yeah, that totally makes sense. And I like how like right from the beginning, there's those trucks and then they're just sort of there the whole rest of the movie. So if, if aliens invade earth, the first people they're going for are the garbage men. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're in high risk. If you, if you're a garbage man of getting infected by an alien, apparently. Yeah. I was very impressed with their commitment to sanitation right away that like, they are like on that. And I think you're right, Harper. I think they're just, they're, they're cleaning up the real people, but I, I kept expecting something to come back around to the garbage trucks yeah. that, that somebody would see the connection of the garbage trucks, but we never, it's, it's never consciously discussed at any point that I can recall anyway. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I thought that was one thing that's actually really interesting about the movie is that like, and again, this sort of ties into the thing a little bit for me and that like the rules of how it all works are never like a hundred percent clear to me. Like mm. even how they like take people over and how they grow and like the whole thing where like if you fall asleep, like the plant version of you wakes up, it's all sort of vague and just sort of hinted at. And they, it's, there's never like a scene where somebody like, you know, sits down and like explains it all on a chalkboard kind of thing, you know, like there's a lot of stuff that's kind of left for you to kind of connect the dots. Yeah. Which is, is smart. I and think. it seems there, there may be a couple of ways because in that really amazing scene where Donald Sutherland, AKA Matthew is falling. So the whole gang is together in one house. I think it's his house. And uh, he's, sort of secured the perimeter and they're all lacking sleep and he starts to fall asleep out in his little garden. Then there's that animated sort of stringy um, vine that starts to come at him and the pods start to, you know, flower and birth the, I think you called them pod babies. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. So why, you know, why was it touching him? You know, was it going to like ensnare him so he couldn't move or is that part of the process? And then, then when they started to come out, they were formed in different sort of for, some of them were more of a baby and what some of them were a little bit more adult formed. And that scene I hadn't re remembered at all from seeing it when I was younger and it was so creepy. Mm. Yeah, It's kind of amazing. I love that part. Oh my God. And that's what I, I didn't understand to fast forward a little bit with Elizabeth's transformation because Jeffrey I don't know if Jeffrey doses her at one point and that's uh, Matthew is calling her house and, and, you know, Jeffrey picks up and then he puts the, you know, the phone off the hook and then uh, Matthew rolls over and breaks in. And that's when he actually sees the, the weird duplicate of her mm -hmm. like in the garden and um, Elizabeth sleeping. So what I don't understand is how many duplicates got made and, 
if you wake up, does that just halt the process? And then if you go back to sleep, it finishes kind of like if you're going to go ahead and upload a file to Dropbox, but you walk away and you come back (laughs) and it starts back up again. So I don't know that life cycle because it seems to me when we finally get to, you know, the, if we, you know, skip ahead to the end, it doesn't seem like she's asleep that long. Right. And then you're like, bam. And she, you know, she pokes her head up out of, she's just there, you know, the duplicates just there. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's some kind of psychic thing to me where it's because they, they make that connection where like the instant the real person wakes up, like the pod person, you know, goes back to sleep or stops, stops, stop existing or whatever. But it's like, um, it's like the consciousness can only be in one body at once or something like that, maybe. Mm. But then, but yeah, I don't really like the process in which like after the pod person, like goes live or whatever, you know, how it takes care of the, the real person's body or like, you know, that whole process is very unclear. Like we never really see how that all plays out. Cause yeah, it seems like just like the vine touching you sort of like gets an imprint of your DNA to maybe just grow the, the like shell grow the body. And then, Mm -hmm. but then there's some sort of weird psychic thing where it's getting the consciousness. That's, that was the best I could understand what was happening. Yeah. I think that's fair. So I think that there were some interesting things about the folks behind making the movie that I just wanted to mention. So the cinematographer was Michael Chapman. We talked about, you know, what a great job he does, but he actually was um, in his early work, a camera operator for Steven Spielberg on Jaws. Oh, and then he also collaborated with Martin Scorsese. So he was uh, the cinematographer for Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. And to connect him to Spinal Tap Minute, he was actually a cinematographer for The Last Waltz, which we mentioned a lot in that on that podcast. He also there's some funny little cameos in this movie, and he yeah. has a cameo as the health department floor cleaner, uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> the director, Philip Kaufman, he's done a lot of screenwriting, uh, especially like for Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, The Right Stuff, which is one of my other favorite movies, oh. which I know yeah, me too. Nancy Cartwright is in that as well. Yeah, so he's done a lot of different work, and he's also done... Uh, some character interesting, yeah, screenplay for Henry and June and the unbearable lightness of being, which I can't really remember. But uh, he also did the screenplay for one of my other favorite movies, which is The Wanderers. If you guys are familiar hmm. with that, I haven't seen that. Wanderers is one of those movies that sometimes people go, Oh, do you mean The Warriors? But no, it's a different one. <laughs> it takes place in 1963 and it's a little darker and it's actually pretty creepy, but has really great music. And anyways, that's, that's for another day, but Ken Wall and Karen Allen are the, the leads in that one. That's pretty trippy. So it was, it was interesting to see what other things he'd done and see how much they connected to, to, you know, well-loved movies. Yeah, and the, and just to to drop in one last uh, another cameo. Did you guys see Robert Duvall yes, in the beginning? That was so weird. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. Did you see so that, weird. Molly? 
I didn't catch him. I read it after the fact in the trivia. I was like, God, I don't remember seeing him. Yeah, he's like Yeah, me and my swinging. wife were watching it and we were like, is that Robert yeah. Duvall? Yeah. <gasps> oh, was the, it was the priest? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, and Jerry Garcia is the yes. banjo player. <laughs> he plays yeah. the banjo uh, for the guy that's in the the movie that's the musician. <laughs> I wish it was his face that showed up on that dog. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the, the dog with the face on it is it kind of reminds me of the thing in that it's one of those where you see that image, you go, oh, my God, you know, like you either know it's from this movie but or not. But it's one of those iconic, creepy monster Definitely didn't see that things. <laughs> I was wait- I knew something was going to happen with the banjo man because I showed him way too many times for it to just be nothing. Like I thought he was just going to like they'd cut to him one time and he'd just be like playing the same note over and over mm-hmm. again or something. But no, to have his face on a dog is way cooler. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> that was great. I don't know. I see a lot of total like the original Total Recall in this movie for some reason. Oh yeah. There's there's something about the special effle- the special excuse me special effects with the pods themselves and that gauzy, moist, yeah, puppetry, quato ness that just, you know, the, the dog, yeah, it's just the, the mutancy just totally reminds me of that. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So yeah, um, before we hooked up with you, Molly, uh, Harper and I were talking about how we couldn't really didn't really find much on the special effects themselves not much about i didn't find any cool articles or anything delving into it there weren't any thing on the um you know the dvd specials or anything like that so Mm. and when i look at what the special effects russell hesse it's like not too many other interesting (laughs) movies (laughs) Um, or let's see, the other person is Del R H E A U M E. And yeah, his other stuff isn't well, Amityville Horror and Trancers 2. <laughs> but they were definitely really effective. Oh, he worked uh, a little bit on the extraterrestrial masks of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So. Oh, okay. There. Yeah, it was weird. Like looking at the DVD, the it's totally it was like from an alternate universe because usually <laughs> there's like a million featurettes on like the explosions and the special effects and makeup and that kind of thing, and like one like two minute thing on the sound, which is the thing I always mm-hmm. like latch onto. And mm-hmm. in this case, there was like a fourteen minute thing with Ben Bird about how they made the scream and how the, you know what kind of vegetables they used for the for the pods to make the sounds of the pods, mm-hmm. and then there's like two minutes on the special effects and all they talk about is the stuff that's floating from the, uh, at the beginning and the, the like little veins that come out of the, um, the gelatin thing at the very beginning when it's like on the leaf. It's just so weird. Like they only talk about those first two scenes for some reason. Interesting. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you guys made note of or wanted to talk about with this, this movie? I had one thing and it's it's a little spicy, <laughs> but I will say I can't wait. <laughs> I'm gonna go on record and say I think this is the best use of a nude scene in a movie I've ever seen. Mm. And 
my rationale for that because I, and I'm, and I appreciate in that true blood sort of sense, give the people what they want, you know, great. But I think that this wasn't used in that manner. I think it's the first, I think it's the first nude scene that I've really been seen that I've been really hit by because of the emotional note that it pops in on. And so if, if anybody hasn't seen the end of this movie, you should turn off now, but there's that moment where Elizabeth disintegrates and Donald Sutherland, just like Matthew's just like horrified. And then she like pops back up out of nowhere and she's naked. And it was really shocking to me because like, why would she, you know, put on a pantsuit or anything in that moment? Well, one, because she popped out of nowhere, which was weird because of all the things we've talked about, about like, how did that happen? That the, you know, pod person was just laying in the bush, like six feet away, but, (laughs) or whatever psychic thing, you know, that was all about, but also just the shock that, you know, oh my God, like she, she didn't make it. So there's that kind of like really weird emotional shock. Then, you know, you're like, oh my God, he's alone now. And then all of a sudden, the duplicates there and there's, and she's naked and they never got to like consummate their, their love. They kind of, you know, there's this subplot of love that goes down. Like they have these like tender keyses, but there's no real, like, mm, you know, there's like, the I love yous, <laughs> but there's no like, mm, do it. You know, we were going to do it on the boat. We're going to be excited. We were going to get away. We we're going to do it on the boat. And now it's all dashed. You know, it was, um, there was a sadness in it. And I think it, showed this intimacy that Mm. was lost on this other tier. And so I feel like it's the best you like, it's, it's like that real masterful use of intimacy in the human form, not just for the titillation of sex, right? Although sex is a part of it, but for that extra layer of loss here too. So I thought it was just really well done. Yeah. That scene is a powerhouse. It's kind of amazing. Cause yeah, just the, I, I almost forgot about the whole disintegration thing, which is really creepy and disturbing. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's just subtle too. It's not like it. It's not like Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of thing. It's like just like kind of you know her face sort of starts to kind of squish a little bit. Like it's just really <laughs> unnerving. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, when she pops out, it's it's very much outside of the realm of usual horror movie nudity, which is definitely all about the like titillation factor. But in, in this, it's definitely, it's really unsettling because it's, yeah, it's like he literally just saw this woman that he loves, like, you know, melt in front of his eyes. But, oh, here she is, but she's not a human being anymore. And, like, mm-hmm. it's this weird disturbing thing where, like, in some ways it's like this is what he's wanted, but then obviously she's not she's not even a person anymore. Like, it's this just, like, blast of, like, emotions. It's super intense and disturbing and unsettling. Mm-hmm. Well said. Awesome. Well, I think yeah, I'm really glad to that we all went on this journey <laughs> separately together and watched this movie. And, uh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was it was entertaining. I would definitely, you know, rewatch this every few years and sort of see what new things unfold. And one question I had for you guys, because I I'll say I found it you know, creepy at times. And I felt like it moved along at a pretty decent pace. I didn't find it particularly scary in the sense that I wasn't like, ah, you know, like frightened. Mm. What, what, yeah, what did yeah. you guys think about as far as like scare factor or jump scares or 
knew that kind of stuff. And granted, I, you know, I knew I'd seen it before. So I knew about <laughs> the things that are re- revealed over, over the course of the movie, you know, uh, to me, I think the, um, the first half, like before, before it becomes like full on invasion alien movie is actually really ca- kind of, I don't know. It was, I don't know if scary is the right word, but like definitely made me feel mm. really uneasy. Mm-hmm. Like the paranoia was like, like even in a movie like the thing, which is all the time masterfully praised or praised for its masterful use of like paranoia and everything is uh, even that doesn't really quite doesn't like hit me at home the way that this does, because this is definitely much more of like a um, believable, like, like I could be in that situation. Mm. Like I'm not going to be in Antarctica anytime soon, like at a research base, but like, uh, yeah, I could wake up one day and my wife might act really strange. And what would I do? Like, and then all these, and so it's like, you almost wouldn't have anybody to go to. And like, there's this, like all the strange stuff happening around you. Like I found that part of the movie really kind of, yeah, like like I said, frightening is maybe not the right word, but definitely made me feel very uncomfortable in a, in a way that I was really impressed with the way that the movie did that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't find myself, I mean, the dog, the dog face <laughs> was definitely a jump scare for me. Yeah. But other than that, there was just a lot of like, oh, oh, God, <laughs> so gross. Those kinds of moments and the unease and the unease and the appreciation of the combination of the cinematography and the sound to create that sense of not comfortable, consistently really uncomfortable and maintaining that sensation of there's something really wrong here. There's something off. And that I think in and of itself was pretty impressive because I don't know that I really get that consistent undertone in very many movies that's maintained Definitely. And I'll throw in too is one, one last piece of my favorite piece of trivia for the movie that uh, speaking of jump scares and, yeah. and kind of the end of it, that poor Veronica Cartwright. I just died laughing when I read the, the trivia about her that they didn't tell her what the end of the movie was going to be. Oh, so, wow. in that, so in that last scene, when she walks up, she actually thinks it's going to be Donald Sutherland's character and they're going to have like this conspiratorial like you know, wink at each other or something. So she had no idea that was going to happen, which if that, if they did that with any other actress, it would be an interesting thing, an interesting bit of trivia. But the fact that it's Veronica Cartwright, who Ridley Scott did the exact same thing to an alien and <sighs> made this poor girl almost have a heart attack in the chestburster scene because she didn't know what was going to happen. Oh my God. <laughs> like I cannot believe that same thing happened to the same actress twice in the span of like two years. <laughs> it's <sighs> like, Unreal. I feel so oh, bad man. for her. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That's great. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. And I think with Donald Sutherland too, one of the things I read that I thought was just kind of fun was that they put him in curlers so that he had that really curly hair. Oh. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, like you, Molly, I would say that I mean, it, Donald Sutherland's been around for so long that, you know, now I think of him sort of in that the Hunger Games sort of where he is now as an mm-hmm. older guy. And this did remind me of what his charisma was and that, yeah, he, he was very likable mm-hmm. and had a bit of a unconventional 70s sex appeal that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> But I kind of missed that. Oh, wow, that's an album. Because, 
Nothing like a white boy fro and a mustache. Nowadays, so many people are kind of conventionally attractive. It's nice to remember and Mm -hmm. connect with those quirkier characters. Absolutely. So, well, before we kind of wrap things up today, uh, I wanted to see if anybody had anything that they wanted to talk about as far as what you've been up to since we all last um, put our, our separate movies by minutes podcasts to bed and if there's anything that you just want to let people know about and um of course i've got my new podcast coming up so i do want to talk about that but i'd like to see what you guys are up to uh well i i have a very very thin plan for a new podcast that's potentially going to happen that i've been working on for a little while but it's been uh i've been super super busy with my uh my freelance work, which is a good thing, yeah, obviously, yeah. but it's, uh, it's definitely kept me from kind of starting up a new uh, new show like I've wanted to. So there's there's something hopefully in the works that I'll have uh, coming out in the next couple months. But um, yeah, don't I don't have any uh, firm details to release about it yet. So. Okay, cool. Well, we'll check in with you over time and make sure that we, uh, if that comes to fruition or anything else you want to share, we'll make sure to let people know about it. How about you, Molly? What's shaking with you? Well, there's a couple of podcasts that I'm talking about in development right now. It's kind of pre-production. So it'd be if it was launching, it'd be like 2019. Um, so it's kind of a stay tuned thing. There's a couple of folks I'm talking to about, you know, maybe doing, I, I needed to take a break from movies by minute for that's a gauntlet folks times, but Ooh, that's an iron gauntlet. But um, yeah, I'm feeling the, the the lure and the callback so I'll, I'll probably uh i'll cruise back that way again in in a few months but um the one thing that i'm i'm working on to launch primarily right now is a t-shirt shop which i've been wanting to do since i was a kid really um and i kind of did a half-assed attempt probably about 10 years ago and have learned from my mistakes and doing it fresh and clean and so it's called temple groove clothing so that's something that's going to be on and live and delightful here in probably the next two months or so. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super cool. Well, great. Well, I'll just mention that um, with the help of many people, (laughs) (laughs) I've been, I finally popped my podcast editing cherry and I am editing my first episode of vibrant visionaries so it's something i talked about on on uh, cabin minute cast there towards the end and it's actually there is a website it doesn't have much going on on it right now but it is there the vibrant uh, vibrantvisionaries.com and i'm gonna launch on thursday july 26th awesome mm-hmm. so That'll be the first first episode, and I'm still debating. I was thinking I was going to go weekly. I might be going every other week because uh, editing is no joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man! Welcome, welcome to the club. Yep. Oh man! So yeah, uh, uh, another uh, many blessings and thank you to Molly for editing Cabin in the Cast. <laughs> And yeah, now I feel like I know a lot more what it's what it's like, um, you know, with somebody like you, Harper, that was doing it as a as a solo, you know, podcast producer definitely takes a lot of work. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. But just as a reminder, Vibrant Visionaries, uh, I am having conversations with 
multi-creative folks, including Harper. He's one of the people I talked with not too long ago. And uh, yeah, about process and just about your creative lives and sort of things we've learned along the way. And uh, I think that besides these interviews, I'll also be sprinkling in recommendations and book reviews and uh, even talking about uh, vibrant visionaries um, from history. Like I'm really into music and film and all that stuff. So I'd love to highlight and uh, share some of the creative people from the past that are have done really interesting things so that we can all kind of learn together and um, all that good stuff. So yeah, so just check out vibrantvisionaries.com and uh, I'll be sending out emails to everybody and posting on Cabin Minute Cast and all that stuff. Uh, if you're interested in getting on my email list, you can email me at coachheidibennett at gmail.com. That's coachheidibennett <laughs> at gmail.com. And yeah, so I think that'll be it for our Invasion of the Body Snatchers Summer Film Club. Anybody out there that has uh, anything to add to the story here um, or tell us what you think about this movie let us know on Twitter. Let's see. We're cabin at cabin minute cast. And what's your Twitter handle there, Harper uh, at the thing Minute. At the thing minute. Pretty easy to remember. Uh, any other um, places anybody wants to shout out to let people know where they can find you? Uh, yeah. My, all my, uh, my audio stuff and, and other podcasts and things like that are all on uh Harper W Harris.com. And how about you, Molly? Uh, well, when it actually manifests, it'll be templegrooveclothing.com. <laughs> okay. uh, so it's not, I, I've got the domain, but I don't have anything up on it yet. Um, and then uh, my, my arty farty stuff is littleredmark.com. Cool. Well, sweet. Well, I don't know how to end this, guys. Do we have any? <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't think it would be very polite to our listeners to let out a blood curdling <laughs> scream. <laughs> I'll, uh, oh, I thought we were all going to do that simultaneously. <laughs> uh, maybe we can add in a little banjo here at the end to spice things <laughs> up. <laughs> Uh, okay well thanks again everybody for listening and hope you have a great rest of your summer and we'll talk with you soon bye bye bye, <laughs> <laughs> bye. <laughs>